Thank you for tuning in into the New Life Church Downtown Podcast. If you would like to get connected, follow us on Instagram at NLC Downtown Little Rock or email us at downtown.podcast at newlifechurch.tv. We hope you enjoy this life-giving message. All right. Good morning. How y'all doing? Y'all excited to be in church this morning? Carrie said, uh, my name is Bronson Duke. My wife and I get the honor and the privilege to be at the downtown Little Rock Church. Uh, We work with a guy named Fitz Hill. Y'all know him as the doctor of football, perhaps. I call him the Doff, okay? If you you don't know this, Fitz is a master of nicknames. And so just like Pastor Rick, uh, I thought I had escaped the Bronson. I'm gonna get called that a few times after this which is good. That's good. I like that. Okay. Um, But yeah, so we've been downtown for about a year and a half now and have loved getting to pastor that church. And our heart for our community, and I know the heart for this community, is that our church would look like the part of the city that we're in. Y'all know all types of people were drawn to Jesus, right? We, we, We see in the scripture that the young and the old, the rich and the poor, those who live in the high rises and those who live in the gutter, people who don't look like everybody else around them were attracted to Jesus. And so we've prayed and asked that our church would look like that. And by God's grace, it does. And it's been a blast uh, getting to do ministry with my wife, Callie. I've got a picture of her and my baby girl, Georgia. That is my whole world right there. Um, Let's just leave that up there for a second. Look at that little girl. Man, okay, I gotta keep going. Got a picture of Harry and Sherilyn, Papa Mo. They came and saw us with with our daughter and Harry and Sherilyn, they've pastored us along with Pastor Rick and Michelle for 10 years. I can't believe it, it's been 10 years. Uh, But Harry has walked with us and counseled us and we're thankful for him. Are y'all thankful your pastors, Pastor Harry and Sherilyn and Rick and Michelle? You are blessed to have them as your pastors. I'm blessed to have them as my pastors. And yo, this weekend, we're gonna be talking about some real stuff. You wanna talk about some real stuff? Y'all wanna talk about some real stuff? You know, if you notice in our culture today, uh, we have something I like to call the highlight reel, okay? It's called Instagram and Facebook, right? Those are the places where we show the world the best parts of us, right? If you don't know that, that's what it is. If you don't know that, there's also people out there who don't understand this to the other extreme, right? It's like, yes, Marjorie, that is toe fungus. That's a little bit too much information. That doesn't need to live on social media. But what this has produced in our culture is I think sometimes it produces a little bit of inauthenticity. And for the sake of this morning's talk, we're going to call it being plastic, right? I think sometimes we can be tempted in our world to be plastic. And so I think something that Christians have to work towards is what does it look like to be an authentic follower of Jesus? What does it look like to be somebody who's real? Uh, Pastor Rick wrote a book called Be Real Because Fake is Exhausting. If you haven't read that yet, you need to check it out. Uh, He also, he was texting me this morning. He wanted me to let you know that he's gonna be back next weekend with you. He's gonna be preaching a message and talking about the Arkansas God sees. So get ready. There's gonna be big vision in that. But this morning, we're gonna unpack what that looks like. Do y'all love the Bible? Y'all love the Bible at the West Little Rock Church? Okay, that's good. Uh, If you got a paper Bible with you, get it out. If you got your electronic Bible, shine it at me. Let me see it. Hey, I wanna tell you this. If you don't own a Bible, there's an app called YouVersion. It's on every platform, get it. Uh, The Bible is the only book that you read and it reads you back, okay? And so we're gonna get into this. It's on the screens behind me as well. 
And I am in the Gospel of John, chapter four. Gospel of John, chapter four. And we're gonna read what I, I think is a familiar story for a lot of us here. John chapter four, I'm in the English Standard Version. That's the extra spiritual version. ESV, you get it? Okay, joke landed. All right, chapter four, this is what it says. It says, now when Jesus had learned that the Pharisees heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize only his disciples, that's the scripture's way of saying the haters always get it wrong. It says he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. He had to pass through Samaria and he came to a town of Samaria called Sukkar, near a field that Jacob had given to his son, Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water and Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For the disciples had gone into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, now I want you to pay attention to this section. How is it that you, a Jew, asked for a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that's saying it to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you the living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where are you gonna get this living water? Are you greater than our father, Jacob? He's given us the well to drink from himself as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, everyone drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. The water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for your scripture. God, we thank you that it's authoritative. God, we thank you that it's relevant to our lives. God, we ask that this morning you would speak to us. God, our hearts are wide open. We wanna grow, we wanna learn. Jesus, we love you, we glorify you, and we honor you this morning. We honor your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said? Come on, everybody said? Amen, amen. Well, y'all, I mentioned it earlier. My name's Bronson. Uh, I'm from Augusta, Georgia. Anybody ever been to Augusta, Georgia? There's a small golf tournament that happens there. Maybe you've heard of it. It's called the Masters. Um, I'm from there, and I grew up there till I was about 17 years old. I'm a Georgia Bulldogs fan. Any Bulldogs fans in the house? Any Gators fans in the house? I know the drummer's a Gators fan. I hope he's listening. We had an overwhelming victory yesterday in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, but when I was 16 or 17 years old, uh, I got in a little trouble. Uh, have y'all seen The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air? That's an autobiography about my life. You see, I got in a little bit of trouble and my mom got scared and she sent me to live with my auntie and uncle in Columbus, Ohio, okay? So I moved up to Columbus and I did a few years of school there. And when I was graduating high school uh, at 19, don't do the math, okay? Had to redo a year, <laughs> had some trouble. When I was graduating high school, I decided it was time to get a tattoo, all right? Parents, I'm sorry, I don't wanna put ideas in your student's head. Which students? Y'all got a little conference coming up next week, right? Collide Student Conference, get signed up for it. Anyway, I digress. Uh, I was 19, decided to get a tattoo, and so I went to my aunt to ask for the money. Uh, I had the money, but I didn't have access to the money. Uh, you know, I, I had a little thing called a drug problem, okay? And my aunt was the uh, administrator of my illustrious estate, so I had to go to her. Y'all know, you, you have those people in your life, like, 
they get one look at you and they can just see to the depths of your soul, right? You can't hide anything from them. This is my Aunt Leslie. And so I go to my Aunt Leslie and I said, Aunt Leslie, I need to get, you know, some money, $170 uh, for, for something and I need you to give it to me. And she said, Bronson, uh, what, what do you need the money for? I said, doesn't matter. I'm 19 years old. I'm a man, right? I just want my money. She said, okay. I think it was reasonable for her, her to wonder what a recovering drug addict wanted their money for, but... She gave me the money and I went and I got to the tattoo parlor. I'm with my buddies and we're all planning out our tattoos, what we're going to get. And I get there and the most terrifying man that I've ever seen in my entire life was behind the counter. Uh, he was covered head to toe in tattoos, which that was cool. Okay. I'm like, okay, he's got experience, right? This guy knows what he's doing. Uh, but what made me a little uncomfortable uh, was that he had devil horns surgically implanted underneath his skin and had a shaved head. So I'm like, am I going to have a curse on my body? Like if I get a tattoo, I was a little, how you say, uncomfortable with that, right? And so I don't want to tell him, like I'm 19, you know. And so I'm like, please, God. I was, I was raised Presbyterian, but in that moment I was full on Pentecostal. Or I was like, shaba shaba, please let there be somebody else back here who gives tattoos. And uh, a Latino man came around the corner, praise God. He didn't have any devil horns. Uh, However, he had no tattoos, and he proceeded to give me the worst tattoo that anybody has been given in their entire life. It was supposed to just be like two straight lines on my ribs. I don't have a picture. Don't worry. Uh, it hurt so bad. It hurt so bad. The lines were not straight. And uh, I, the more I learned about tattoos, the more I learned that I not only got a bad tattoo, but I overpaid by like, you know, 100% for this tattoo. So I got ripped off, and uh, I came home. Uh, walk of shame, right? Still lived with my aunt and uncle and it's summertime. So like she's going to find out. And so I went to her, I said, hey, you know, I got a tattoo, you know, here it is. And she said this, she said, Bronson, I knew you were gonna get a tattoo. Your friends told their parents, all right? And they called me, they told me what was going on. She said, I was just giving you the opportunity to tell the truth. You see, I'd had a stronghold in my life in this area I wonder for you, if you've ever found yourself in a moment like this, a moment where you had the opportunity to be transparent and, and, and maybe you weren't, this is where we find the woman at the well. Going back to our text, you're gonna see as we dive in that Jesus gave her a moment to be transparent. But before we do that, I wanna unpack a little bit of history and what's happening. Y'all, this is a loaded passage of scripture. This is a loaded interaction. I want you to notice a few things. One, Jesus was alone in the heat of the day is what it says. It actually says in the sixth hour. How many of you guys like to do yard work at noon in the summer, right? No. You do it in the morning, you do it in the evening. It was the same thing then. She was getting water for her daily chores, but you notice it says that she was alone. Why would a woman go alone at the hottest part of the day to do her chores? We can deduce from the passage that she was most likely a social outcast. As we read more of the scripture, we're gonna see why. But beyond that, so Jesus is here talking to this woman. He's talking to a Samaritan woman. You see, Jews and Samaritans, they had no dealings. The reason for this is uh, at the Assyrian exile, it's back in the Old Testament, if you dig back, the Samaritans were people who were left when the Jewish people were exiled. And so what they did is they began to uh, build a, a new version of Judaism, okay? And in this version, they only relied on the first five books of the Bible. It's called the Pentateuch. 
And so they only held the Pentateuch as authoritative. And through this, they began to build their own temple, which was at the center of Jewish life. So for the Jews, the temple had to be in Jerusalem. The Samaritans said the temple was on a mountain. So in this passage, he's talking to a woman who's a social outcast. He's talking to a Samaritan. Jewish people, look at it like this. By him talking to her, he became ceremoniously unclean. Now, what that means is imagine you're going through your life and you start talking to somebody that culture deems unclean. Culture deems is somebody that you shouldn't be talking to. And so because of that, we don't allow you in the church. Like, up. Oh, we saw you talking to that person. Actually, this week, you're going you're gonna to have to sit this one out. You're going to have to go back home, pack your kids up, head back home. That's what Jesus would have had to deal with. But we notice here is that Jesus took his everyday, ordinary, walking around life. He placed it before God as an offering, and he bulldozes straight through what all the religious people says he should do. And he changes this woman's life forever. Changes this woman's life forever. He took time to see her as an individual and to get to, at the heart of what she and I believe all of humanity is really looking for. Write this down. My first point this morning is this. Jesus satisfies our deepest desires. Jesus satisfies our deepest desires. He satisfies our deepest desires, but I want you to write down an ellipsis beside that. He satisfies our deepest desires, but it may cost you your old ones. Now, I'm not talking about like burning your Dre CDs or whatever, okay? Your Dave Matthews band, your old Kanye albums, okay? I'm talking about something a bit deeper here. I'm talking about the place in your life where you sought soul satisfaction, but it hasn't brought it to you. I wonder what that looks like for you. The proverbial well you keep throwing the bucket of your soul into, hoping you will fill, it will fill you up, but it's left you thirsty. Each one of us has deep heart thirst, friends. Jesus is trying to show us something about the human heart in this conversation. He's trying to show us that we're all thirsty, that all of us, like this woman, have deep longings in our hearts, thirsts in our souls that nothing can satisfy. He's trying to show each and every one of us that as we throw the bucket of our hearts into these wells of our own making and we drink from it, it leaves us more and more thirsty. Yo, we thirst for things like purpose, right? I heard Pastor Rick say one time, everybody ends up somewhere, but few people end up somewhere on purpose. Yo, we all wanna know who we are. We all wanna know what we're meant to do. We all wanna know that our life is making an impact. And so we throw our buckets into things like our careers, things like our school, things like social causes. But here's what we find is that if our career goes off the rails, we're no longer satisfied. We, we find that as social causes change, we're no longer satisfied. We find that if we make a bad, bad grade in school, we're no longer satisfied and we're left thirsty. We thirst for things like love. Some of y'all are way too thirsty, as the kids say these days. Yo, we make compromises, right? We overlook red flags in relationships because we're trying to fill a void in our lives. The fact is, you start looking at this situation, this guy didn't even have a job, right? But you're so thirsty for relationships. You're making excuses. He's in between jobs, right? You know, before Adam got Eve, he had a J-O-B, right? Anyway, that's for free. This isn't a relationship message. 
Y'all, but we long for someone who's always there. We long for someone who's patient, always welcoming, always accepting, never self-absorbed. And we throw the bucket of our hearts into these situations, searching for relationships that only Jesus can fill. I've experienced this. I wonder if you have. We search for things like peace of conscience. Y'all, everybody on the planet struggles with guilt. That's why God sent Jesus. He didn't send us Jesus so that we would act right. He sent us Jesus because we couldn't act right. But we go after all these different things to try to find soul satisfaction. But guilt will keep you up at night. Maybe you've cheated at school. Maybe you've fudged the numbers at work. Maybe nobody knows. Maybe you've stolen. Maybe you've lied. Maybe you've looked at things you shouldn't have looked at. You know, to one degree or another, we all struggle with guilt. We try to make it right. We long for a clean conscience, but we find no matter how much we try to numb ourselves, I try to numb myself with substances. No matter how we try to deal with it, we find that we're still thirsty. Y'all, here's the truth. For me, the cup that I drank from, even as I was walking with Jesus, was the cup of accomplishment. I'd look in the mirror and I'd start thinking about what I had going on that day. I'd start thinking about work. I start thinking about how my sales numbers were doing. My sales were up. I felt good about myself, all right? But I hadn't gained any weight. I start looking in the mirror, right? I'm like, okay, not any fatter today. <laughs> gained about 40 pounds during this season, all right? But I was drinking from the cup of accomplishment, and I found that in months where my sales numbers weren't so good, I didn't have peace. I found I wasn't okay with myself. And I heard a preacher say one time, when you look in the mirror, this changed my life. He says, look in the mirror and say, I am loved. I'm a child of God and he's pleased with me. I'm loved. I'm a child of God. He is pleased with me because your view of who Jesus is will dictate the amount of peace that you have in your life. If Jesus just came to be an accessory in your life, you're gonna find yourself lacking peace. But if Jesus comes in and is the Lord of your life, whoo, it will transform everything for you. That's what I've experienced. And Jesus is saying, the only way you'll truly be satisfied is if you come to me. And he's promising. I want you to notice this. He's promising. If we come to him, we never have to go thirsty again. Here's the truth. Jesus doesn't want to just deal with the problems you have on the outside. He wants to do a deep healing of your heart. But a lot of times, y'all, we settle for behavior modification, but Jesus came to transform hearts. He didn't come to just transform behavior. The truth is it's a long road to following Jesus. And some of you guys, you've been walking with Jesus for a little bit and you're discouraged. Here's what I wanna encourage you. For me, I'm 30. I know I look like I'm 18, I'm 30. <laughs> I wanna be better when I'm 40. I wanna be better when I'm 50. I wanna be better when I'm 60. Some of you guys are in your 60s and you're struggling with things. And here's what I wanna tell you. Jesus is patient and he loves you. Amen. You have a hope, you have a future. Jesus came to, to heal you at the deepest places of your heart. You know, we were singing earlier and we were talking about how it's well. And I started to think about how, for me, how do I know it's well? It's well because Jesus died for me. It's not well because of what I've accomplished. You know, your theology is a weapon. Your theology is a weapon. I wanna say that again. Why is that important? Because the enemy is a hater and an accuser of your soul. And if you don't know where you stand with God, he will spin you round and he'll spin you round and he'll spin you round and you'll be in worship and you'll be thinking about all the things that are wrong with you instead of the things that are right with him. 
The scripture says in Ephesians chapter six, it says that we're to take up the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Your theology is a weapon. And here's what I wanna tell you. If you're in Jesus, you don't have to walk around feeling guilty. You can walk around and be clean. Yo, that's the baseline. You'll never find satisfaction for your soul if you don't believe that. Go with me again to John chapter four, verse 13 through 18. 13 through 18. Jesus said to her, and this is a big chunk of scripture, so stick with me. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. The water I give him will become a spring. A what? A what? A spring. Spring doesn't run dry. Spring keeps coming. A spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, sir, give me this water so I'll never be thirsty or have to come here to draw water again. It's hot, right? She likes that idea. Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. Yo, this is where potential plastic fake moment is for this woman. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you're right. In fact, you've had five husbands and the one that you're now with is not your husband. What you've said is true. Yo, this is savage, right? He finds the most vulnerable place in her life and he calls it out, but he gives her an opportunity. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you're a prophet, right? You've read me like a book. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain. Now here's what I want you to notice. We're gonna unpack this in a second. She changes the subject. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. But notice this, but the hour is coming and is now here where the true worshipers will worship in spirit and in truth. Your theology is your weapon. The Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know the Messiah is coming. He who is called the Christ, and when he comes, he will tell us all, all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Point number two, Jesus invites us to change. Jesus invites us to change. She's deflecting. She's asking a good question. She's asking a relevant question, but she's deflecting. She doesn't want to talk about the temple. She doesn't want to talk about her life. She didn't want to talk about this. She just really doesn't want to talk about her life. She is willing to talk about the deepest tension between their two cultures before she's willing to talk about her life. This is like bringing up politics today with somebody you know is in a different political camp than you. You don't do that unless you really don't wanna talk about what's being brought up. She brings up the craziest things she can bring up to try to change the subject. But Jesus cuts straight through the plastic to get to the thing that she's sought to quench her thirst because he loves her. Sometimes hard things get brought up in our life, not because people are mean to us, because people love us. She's trying to get at the thing. He's trying to get at the thing that's keeping her sick. So when she says, I want this living water, why did Christ have her go get her husband? This is essentially what he's saying. He's saying, you've already been trying to find soul satisfaction. You've been digging wells to look for it. You've been seeking it in men. 
and it's left you thirsty. You'll never find soul satisfaction in that place. You'll only find it in me. And if you want me, I will have to take the place of that thing in your heart. Y'all, he's saying, I will satisfy your deepest desires. I will lead you into life, but it will cost you your old one. The one that was previously most important to you, the one that's left you dry, the one that's left you thirsty. Y'all, this is a no-brainer exchange, but it's difficult, right? Because it's the way we've always lived. It's all we know. He's offering her the ability to make a change. Have you ever been in a place where you were hiding something that's killing you? For me, my big issue was deception. I was just deceptive. I never showed any one person, every part of me. I had drug addictions that I hid. I dealt with manipulation, sexual addictions, all kinds of things. I remember when I had my drug problem, uh, I had my stash, right? Addicts have stashes. And I remember every time my mom got close to it, there was no peace in me. Kept me up at night thinking that she might find it. Jesus came to offer peace in the areas where we struggle the most. Yo, this woman was going in a hundred degree heat to do her chores because she was hurting inside. Jesus comes to heal us and restore relationships to us. I wonder where you find yourself today. I wonder what that place is when people get close. Peace leaves your life. Write this down. Real pervasive change happens by God's power, not by willpower. Real pervasive change happens by God's power, not by willpower. Y'all, here's the truth. When law our rules come in, when religion comes in, it comes in despite your deepest, deepest desires, like you're, you're having to fight it. When the living water of Jesus Christ comes in, it satisfies your deepest desires. When you try to do religion, you try to do rules, it will never satisfy you. It will always feel like work. But when you develop a relationship with Jesus, the one who loves you more than anybody has ever loved you, it will satisfy you at the deepest level. I've experienced this. If you'd never experienced this, our heart is that you'd experience this in this church, that you'd find freedom, that you'd find hope, but he won't force us. Notice this, he didn't force us, he invites us. Point number three is my last point. Jesus gives us new desires. He satisfies our deepest desires. He invites us to change and he gives us new desires. Verse 28 and 29 said, so the woman left her jar and went away into the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And they went out of the town and they were coming to him. You know, in the beginning, we can see her desires are off, her desire to find security in relationships, desire to hide and deflect. You know, some of that's wisdom, right? <laughs> You can't tell everybody everything. You gotta be authentic with everybody, but transparent with a few. So she's trying to figure out who he is. She doesn't know who she can trust after all she's done. She's avoiding the other woman, women, probably with good reason. But I want you to notice this. We see she left her water jar. You know, this is symbolism. 
she left the thing that she was using to quench her old thirst because she had gotten something greater. You know, Jesus, it says in the scripture that he uses things that are foolish to the wise to bring about his purposes. Did you know the first evangelist in the gospel of John was a woman? The first person Jesus revealed himself as the Messiah was a woman. Y'all, back in these days, they couldn't vote. He used what was foolishness in the eyes of the world, not only a woman, a woman who had done what was unthinkable in the culture. Five divorces in our time is rough. Five divorces in this time was unbelievable. Jesus took a Samaritan woman, the one that the Jews viewed as an enemy, not only a Samaritan, but probably the chief sinner in the village, the one who had to be alone. And this is the person he engaged with. Why? Because Jesus is for everyone. Jesus can reach anyone. I don't care what you've done. I don't care what pit you're in. Jesus will climb down in the pit and he will pull you out. That is the gospel of grace. Jesus loves you not based on your performance, but based on who he is. He is love. And he came for us and he came for you. You'll notice that she moved from duty to delight. She moved from doing things because she had to to doing things because she wanted to. You see, you please the lawgiver because you have to, but you please Jesus, the grace giver, because you want to. He gives us new desires and it can transform your life. She moved from water to worship, to being a witness. Here's what I wanna tell you. You are purpose built. God has purpose on your life. No matter what you've done, no matter how much you've messed up, no matter how stagnant you are right now, God wants to bring you into his work of saving people, hurting people. That's the gospel. That's what Jesus came to do. That is the gospel of grace. Just bow your heads all across the room.